You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, September 17, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social at svbcfamily. Alrighty, Romans 12, 9 through 21. We're continuing where we left off last week. And this is called Love in Action. So let's just dive, go ahead and dive right in. It says, love must be sincere. Boy, already, let's hit, hit, let's hit, a, let's, let's hit a period there already. We didn't get four words into it. Love must be sincere. What, what, is, what is Paul saying here when he's saying love must be sincere? Is he saying, I believe that it, it needs to be real? You know, what is, it needs to be legitimate. It needs to be genuine. So when, when Paul is saying to us that love must be sincere, he's not wanting us just to, to fake it until you make it. Have you ever heard that expression where he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want us just to come in the church and, and put our arms around people and say, oh, God bless you. I, God loves you and so do I if you don't mean it. He wants you to really mean it. You know, in, in fact, you were called to love in a sincere way. In other places in the Word, does it not say that if you, if, if you hate your brother, that you cannot love God, that you can't have these two things existing in the same place? You can't love God and hate His creation at the same time. So you were called in many places through the Word to, to love in a sincere, genuine way. And Paul continues by telling us to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Have, have you ever heard the expression, love God but hate sin? That, that's, kind of what this, that's kind of what this is saying. Hate the stuff that is evil. What is evil stuff? What is Paul telling you to hate? Evil things are things that, that set itself up in opposition to God himself. If something is evil... It is the exact opposite of what God is. So we're supposed to hate things that, that, that oppose God in, in, in such a way. Evil things, things that when we sin, isn't sin an evil thing? You know, it, it opposes the will of God. It opposes what, what God wants in our lives. We're supposed to hate these types of sins or anything that sets itself up against the lordship of Christ. But we are to cling to what is good. When, when good stuff comes along, you're supposed to hold on to that thing. You know, when somebody's being kind, we're, we're supposed to value that kindness. When people are being loving, we should love, we should cling on to their, their loving kindness. We're supposed to hold on to the good stuff and let go of the bad stuff. Because you want to know what happens so often. We like to hold on to things, the good and the bad, and, the, and hold on to both of them. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever seen that? Where somebody tries to hold on to the good things and to the bad things because like, they want to hold ownership to both of these things? Paul's telling us, no, let it go. The stuff, the stuff that is evil, hate it, let it go. If it's good and pure, hold on to it. He continues by saying, be devoted to one another in love. What well, is this being devoted to one another in love? Do you realize love is a choice? 
Do you realize that, that love, love is a choice? He's telling us to choose to love. What's it mean to love somebody? To love somebody in this way, to, to, to be devoted to one another in love. What's, what's the whole 1 Corinthians 13 thing? Holding no records of wrong, forgiving things, loving on each other, always protecting, always hoping, always trusting. All of these things, if you need a, if you need a checkup on what, on what love is supposed to look at, we're not going to go to it because the time... 1 Corinthians 13, it tells you what love is supposed to look like. That is how we are supposed to be treating one another. We're supposed to be interacting with one another in this loving way, rejecting the ugliness and embracing the goodness and being treating each other in this loving way. Honor one another above yourselves. You know, this is, this is so opposite of our nature. You know, by nature, we're really kind of self-centered. We're really, or that, that big fancy word, that we're narcissistic. And all that means is self-centered. We have a tendency of, of, of wanting to, to look out after our own wants and our own desires. We're kind of like the squirrel with the nut. He wants to guard his nut. You, you, you know, however, we are told to honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fever serving the Lord. Do you think there's a connection here? Why it's so close? Why he's saying to honor one another above yourselves and, and, and be continually serving the Lord in, in, in a fervent way? I, I think in order for us to serve God in a fervent way, in, in, in a spiritual way, in a holy way, we have to be putting others before ourselves. Who else has done that? Have we ever seen that before? How about Jesus? Do you think that, do you think that Jesus lived his life just for himself? Isn't he the model? Isn't Jesus who we're supposed to be trying to be like? Jesus was very much the opposite. Jesus was always putting others in front of himself. That's what we're called to do. You know, almost every single time I pray, I say this thing. You know, Holy Spirit, make us, mold us and shape us in the likeness of Christ. I don't take that lightly. I mean that. But when we do that, if we truly want to be molded and shaped in the likeness of Christ, we're going to start putting others before ourselves. We're going to start looking at them in a little bit higher way than even we view ourselves. Is, is this, is, are we tracking here? Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? To be, to be fervent and devoted in our relationship with God, we need to love one another, putting each other in, in, in a place even more high or, or in a different place higher than what we value ourselves. That is so contradictory to the way, what the world tells us. The world tells us, get what you can, you are numero uno. But that's not the way, that's not the, way the Lord works. Jesus has always put us before himself. Think about the whole incarnation you know, I'm not going to just keep talking about this every week, but it's so important to understand with the incarnation, him even coming here was putting you in front of himself. Do you realize he could have just still been there? He, could, he didn't have to endure the things that he endured. He didn't have to do the things that he did. He did it because he was putting you in, ahead of himself. He just was. There, nobody would ever have left heaven to come here and to serve in that way and to die on a cross unless he was putting you ahead of himself. 
That's a pretty high standard. So when we say, when I pray, Lord, or Holy Spirit, make us in the likeness of Christ, that's, the, that's what we're asking for. If that's genuinely your prayer, you're asking to be like Christ. And Christ always puts others ahead of himself. Be joyful in hope. Joyful in hope. What is the deal with joy? You know, what's the difference between joy and happiness? We've talked about this. Should we strive to be happy, folk? You know, it's not bad to be happy. But what's the deal with happiness? Happiness is, is dependent on the situation. You know, if, if, if I go to the steakhouse and I get myself a big piece of salmon and I'm eating that thing and I'm enjoying I'm happy. That's because of the, the situation I'm in, the place that I am in, it makes me happy. But then if you end up taking me to a different place and you feed me liver and onions like Jim Ennis likes, then all of a sudden I'm not happy anymore because it's just nasty. It's just gross. So happiness has a way of being reflected upon your situation. Joy doesn't. Joy is something that regardless of what the situation is, it's still there. It still exists. You can be joyful in the Lord and be joyful in hope. Be joyful in, in, in the fact that you're hoping for, for bigger, better things in Christ Jesus. That, you're being, that, that you've laid your hope in Messiah Jesus. And that you can lay your hope. And that one day when you lay this, this, this earthly body down, you can go be with him. You can do this with joy. You're supposed to be patient in affliction. Let me tell you what about patience. Never pray for it. Never pray for patience. Unless you're brave. Because I've learned the hard way. I've, I've said it. Let me take that back. I won't ever pray for patience. I'm not telling you not to. I've prayed for patience, and guess what happens? I get taught patience. You know, you know when I've told God, please make me a patient person, God, it's like I expected some type of, of gift wrapped from heaven come down and drop in my laps. Oh, you're patient. It doesn't work that way. When you pray for patience, you're put in situations that teaches you that sometimes you've got to wait, but you can still be joyful. Or for me, I like to drive kind of fast. You know, I pray for patience. I get behind the person going five to ten miles below the speed limit, which drives me crazy. When you pray for patience, you will get it. But, but in your affliction, you do need to be patient. When the stuff is hitting the fan and when you're in a tough spot and, and, and things and, and you're just not in a place that you really feel comfortable and there's a place where you just wanted to escape from, like your affliction, you were told to be patient, just to hang in there. Because why? Why do we need to be patient in our affliction? Because of our hope, because of the, our joyful hope, we can be patient in our affliction because we know a brighter day is coming. We know a brighter paint day is coming. The pain may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It just always does. Unfortunately, the morning sometimes just isn't that 12-hour period. Sometimes the night, sometimes it seems like we walk through it, sometimes months, sometimes years. But we still need to be patient and long-suffering knowing that an end is coming, that, that, that God does, has not abandoned us, and he does love us, and he has walked with us through these times. That's one of the things that helps me with patience. 
What helps me with patience is when I realize I'm stuck in that uncomfortable place. It helps me be patient knowing that when I'm in the pit, that Jesus is in the pit with me. Isn't that a helpful thing? It's a very helpful thing that when you're in a bad spot, to know that the Holy Spirit has not abandoned you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a real deal. Jesus never said anything willy-nilly. He's kept all of his promises. So when Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, when you're in the bad place, when you're in that time of affliction, if, and you're, if you feel like you're in the pit, and even if when you're in those times, sometimes it's hard to feel the presence of God. That's that thing, that situational thing. Sometimes it's hard to feel the presence of God. But the difference is, is we can hold on to and be joyful because we know that regardless of how we feel, we have the truth that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that he is in the pit with you. It makes patience so much easier knowing that you're not alone. It makes patience so much easier knowing that the Holy Spirit is there working with you and through you through this time. Be faithful in prayer. Have you ever heard me say that the most important people in this church, in the direction of the church and where it's going, are the people who are praying? I can assure you, it doesn't matter who stands at this pulpit. Whoever stands at this pulpit is not number one in the church. In fact, it should be the servant of all. The most important people in this church are the ones who pray for this church. That's my opinion. Why? Because people who are praying on behalf of the church or people who are praying for you they are, they are being connected. They are, the, they are holding on to the vine. They're being connected and they're moving on your behalf and asking the Holy Spirit to move on, on, on your behalf, on behalf of the church. I'll tell you what, I can stand up here. There are days I feel like I'm preaching right on it. There are some days I feel like I'm flat. So again, it's one of those things that, that I can be kind of situational in a way. But the prayers aren't. The prayers are the ones who keeps the ball rolling regardless of what's happening at this pulpit. The prayers are so important. And that's why I've, I've, I've often said, and I believe it, if you, have, if you pray for this church, you are. You are the, the foundation of, of where we're going. Obviously, Christ is our foundation, but you are the bedrock of, of, the, of the success of the church because you are petitioning the Most High God on behalf of this place, these, these people, or on the individuals that be fervent in prayer because that is how you move the hand of God. What isn't there? What is, what, what's the story about, about the, 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 the just and the unjust judge? Even when the, the widow kept coming and just asking for justice, you know, Jesus was saying, even, even the, the unjust judge, but through fervency of somebody coming to them over and over and over, will eventually move the hand of even the unjust judge. But how quickly, how much more quickly does the just judge want to move when people come on behalf of, 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 of their people, the church, and for others? God wants you praying. He wants you praying for others. He wants you praying for the church. He wants you praying even for yourself. Do you not see Jesus do that? 
Think about the, what we call the high priestly prayer, John 17. Who does Jesus pray for? He prays for his disciples. He prays for people that will believe in him, that never saw him. But who else did he pray for? He prayed for himself. So be fervent in your prayers for others. Be fervent in prayers for even yourself. Share, share with the Lord's people who are in need. If you have something, share it. You are called to, to be hospitable. You are, you, are, you are called to share what God has given you. Do you realize that nothing that you own is actually yours? Everything that you own belongs to the Lord. You are, you are merely an, 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 an overseer of God's stuff. So if God has, has, has blessed you in such a way that he's given you more of his stuff, he's calling you to share. If you, if you have a need, share. I'll tell you what, if you, look at the, if you look at the church, the Acts church, these folks didn't even have much, but they were still sharing. So, so I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if you have a lot of stuff or a little bit of stuff. If you, if you have something and you see someone in need, you are called to share. That is being a good steward of the things that God has given you to bless others with what God has blessed you with. Practice hospitality. This isn't always easy. It's not easy sometimes to be a hospitable person. Some people, it's just, it's just natural for them. You know this person. You come into their house, they got the big pineapple thing hanging on their wall because that's a sign of hospitality. Say, come on to my house. You know, you know I want to share with you. I want to spend time with you. Come into my house. You know, be, I want to be hospitable. And then there's the folks that say, that have the signs like, you know what, go away. Those are the folks that need to work on this hospitality thing. You know, you know and I've seen those signs. They're real. I might laugh at them, but you're not supposed to be that way. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Again, this is something, this is, again, love and action. Love and action is blessing those who persecute you. This isn't the first time that you've seen this. This is all through the gospel. We are to bless those who curse us. We're to love our enemies. Do you remember Jesus saying that? Love your enemies. You know, it's easy to love people who love you. It's hard to love people who don't even like you. But you're still called to love. You're still called to make the choice to love them. Even if you don't like them. Do you realize there's a difference? There are people in your life that, that it might be a little easier to love them because you also like them. You like being around them. You like them, maybe the way they dress. You like the things they say. You like who, what they stand for. You might like lots of things about them. You, they might have an encouraging word. They're just always that encouraging person. They're easy, they're easy to like, so they're easy to love. What about the folks that aren't so easy to like? Do you know that person? I know that person. I've been that person, unfortunately, from time to time. I've not always been the easiest person to like. <laughs> but regardless of how much you like or don't like somebody, whether they're your friend or your enemy, you are called to make a choice to love them, even when you don't feel like it. 
that's hard. I'd be the first to say that's hard to love somebody that you perceive as being against you. That's a hard thing. But if you want to honor God, if you want to honor the things that Christ has told us, you are required to love your enemy. It's just the way it is. Is that hard? Yeah, that's hard. That's, that's a hard thing. You know, when I, I've talked about in the past, you know, like when Osama bin Laden was killed, there was a huge part of me that was very happy. Can we be honest? <laughs> there was a part of me that, re- that was happy that they sprayed this dude's brains on the back of the wall. Why? Because he was hurting people. He attacked us. He was my enemy. Do you realize, let's get real. God wants me to love people like Osama bin Laden. Can't wrap my head around it. Sometimes to love your enemy, there has to be a starting point. There have been things in my life where I've just said, God, I know this is what your word says, but it's just too tough to do. There have been times that my first prayer had to be, God, help me have the desire to do the right thing. Help me to want to love my enemy. Is that a work? Am I still a work in process? A work in progress? Absolutely. I'm still not heartbroken over the death of Osama bin Laden. And I think it was. Justice. And somebody's actually asked me about that. I actually had somebody who was, in, he was a Marine ask me, well, how do you justify, how do you, how do you reconcile these things? You, you, you know, I can be happy about justice being served. But can I also be almost injured or feel bad that a soul was lost to hell? I think those two things can coexist. To embrace the justice while still being sorrowful about the eternal impact that it had on that person. But I'll be honest, I'm still having a hard time even getting to that point. I can't imagine, I can't imagine that, you know, Dennis Carp's coming next week. Oh, we have have Eric. I can't imagine ever telling a person who's Jewish, say, you know what? God called you to love Adolf Hitler. They're probably going to laugh at you. And everything in me says, I would get it. I would get it. I can't bring myself to loving Adolf Hitler, and I wasn't, I wasn't part of the people who was, who was being tortured to death by the sick, depraved mind. But God calls us to love the unlovable. Why? Because even while we were still enemies of God, Jesus still died for us. 
That's us. Even while I was an enemy of God, Jesus still died for me. So it might be a good starting place for us to say, God, I can't bring myself to say I love this person. God, I can't bring myself to say I forgive this person. God, I can't bring myself to even to even anything with, with this person. But God, help me. Help me to want to. Because often that's the, where we need to start. That's where we need to start. Rome wasn't built in a day. Forgiveness so often doesn't come in a day. Love doesn't always come in a day when it comes to people loving enemies. But just always remember, while you were an enemy of the cross, Christ still died for you. That's a hard word. That's a hard word. You know, sometimes even our brothers and sisters in the church, we view as enemies. You think that makes God's heart happy? I would dare say that it does not. You're not going to love everybody that sits in your body. But God calls you to love. And you want to know why it's important? Let's reach somewhere else in the Word. How is it that Jesus said that people would know that we belong to him? by our love, one for another. So when we're spewing hate at one another, we are offending the will of Christ. You don't have to agree with your brother or your sister. You don't have to agree, but you're required to love. Continuing on 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You know what? This is something that would seem so simple. But again, none of this stuff, this love and action stuff, none of this is simple. I saw two people in a workplace recently. The one worker, and this is real, this isn't some story that I've made up to make a point. The one worker was given a really cool piece of equipment that they wanted. It was a really cool piece of equipment that would really help them do their job. And it was just, you know, all the other people that were there were just ooing and aahing because that's kind of what cops do. We love stuff. We, we, we love things like cars and guns and all that, that tasers and bowler wraps, all these things. We just ooh and ah like kids over this stuff. Well, this, this officer got this really cool thing. And some of us were like, I am so happy for you. I wish it was mine, but I'm so happy for you. I am happy that this good thing happened for you. You know, when love is in action, we are happy for people when good things happen for them. But there was another officer. I kid you not, stood off to the side and was looking like this. And I said, hey, what's up? And he just kind of turned his back a little bit. 
he wasn't happy that he didn't get the, pool, the cool piece of equipment. He wasn't rejoicing with us who were rejoicing. But there's that self-centeredness thing again. But when you, when you, when you want something and your, your own will, your own desires get in the way, sometimes you don't rejoice for those who rejoice. But I'll tell you what, there's something wrong. If you're not happy when a good thing happens to a good person, maybe you need to look at your heart because there's something out of line. There's something not quite right. Mourn with those who mourn. If you see somebody who is mourning, just this gut-level mourning because they've lost a loved one or because they're, 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 their children don't want to have anything to do with them or their children have moved away or any of these things that just cause them to mourn some loss, if you're not feeling that with them just a little bit, it's time to do a heart check. Because when they mourn, we should mourn with them. You know what? God has really not called us to be sympathetic. He has called us to be empathetic. And there's a huge difference. He just doesn't call us, to feel, again, to do the pat on the shoulder. Oh, I feel so sorry that's happened to you. He wants you to embrace those who mourn and, and, and absorb some of that pain through them and share that with them to help them move past that mourning. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We are to mourn with those who mourn. And we are to live in harmony with one another. This isn't something new. Have you ever read the book of Galatians? He over and over and over, Paul, he addresses, be unified. Unity, unity, unity. We are to live at peace with one another. We're supposed to live in, in, in a way where we're unified with one another. Again, that doesn't require agreement. It just has to, we have to come to a place where we love one another despite disagreement and that we move on and move forward together as a family. That is unity. That is harmony. It's going all together in the same direction as one family, as one body, regardless of how, how, how you might feel about the pieces. It's moving forward together. That's, being, that's harmony. That's unity. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. I told Shane earlier, man, in Sunday school, you just preached half my sermon. He did. This was this. Don't be so proud. Don't have this big head so that you think that you're too good to sit in the pew with the stinky person. Or that when you're walking down the street and there's somebody who's drunk and passed out, that you're not like the, oh, whoa, whoa. You can't be that guy. You can't be that gal. Oh, I'm too good to walk by the drunk guy passed out. You realize that drunk guy would be the one that if you're being Jesus in the flesh, it's the drunk guy that you're embracing. Don't be so proud. Don't think so highly of yourself. Because I'll tell you something about pride. Anytime there is pride, something immediately follows it. A fall. So when you start thinking of yourself so highly that you can't associate 
with the drunk on the ground or the stinky person. You're out of check. Let me tell you what, I've been that guy. I've been that guy. Before I got into, into recovery ministry, before I was the recovery pastor at New Life, I used to take people to jail all the time for things like drugs and alcohol. I mean, all the time. I was always going to jail. I was always taking people to jail. I mean, I was a drug dog, man. I was just, I was just finding it, and I was taking people to jail. And I remember thinking one time when I was listening to their conversations, I realized at that moment that I view them as this is me, that is them. There's me versus them. It took a while for me to realize there's no me and them, it's an us. That when I would deal with people who were in prostitution, you want to know what? I'm no better. My sin may look different, but I'm no better. When you start thinking that your stuff stinks a little bit less than everybody else, there's a problem because it stinks just as bad. It just looks a little different. I've been that guy. I've been that guy. I was so wrong. One of the most impactful things I've ever been had the pleasure of working in is recovery ministry. Because that's what broke down the walls. That's what broke down the barriers. That's what broke down that thing of the us versus them. That's what broke down this thing in Roz. We're all in it together. And God honored it. My very first baptism I ever did in Celebrate Recovery was a recovering addict who had just gotten out of jail like six months before that. And she said, I'll never forget to my dying day. And this, isn't, this is a Jesus thing. This isn't a Greg thing. This is only Jesus could pull this thing off. After I dunked her and brought her back up, she laughed and says, if you told me a year ago that a cop would be baptizing me, I would have laughed in your face. Only Jesus could pull something like that off. Then the only way that that can happen is when you stop looking at yourselves as being one thing and them as something else. We're all the same. When you start thinking yourself so highly, a fall is coming. Almost every fall I've ever taken in my life is because I have been a proud person. Almost every single one. Because guess what? God opposes the proud. You cannot be proud in walking in the will of God. God opposes the proud. So when you are looking at yourself more highly, you're on the opposite side of the fence that God stands. You never want to be on the opposite side of the fence where God is standing. God opposes the proud. That's why before, every time you see pride, there's always a fall. Because the only time you don't fall is when you're in the hand of God. If you put yourself in a position where you oppose God, bad things happen in your life. Not because he's done anything to you, because you walk out from behind his protection. Do not be conceited. We've been talking about that. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. I, I interacted with this scripture a lot in my doctoral work. Why? Because I was, I was, looking, at, I was looking at armed security ministry and deadly force. So I had to deal with this eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth thing. Because is that a thing? It is a thing. But here's the problem with it. It's not a thing for you. Who was when 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 God was giving the the law and this thing, the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth was who was he talking to? Was he talking to the individual? Or was he talking to the administrators of justice? Guess what? You don't have the right. You don't have the right to exact justice yourself. God puts that in the hands of people that he appoints. That person has the right to administer an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Things like the death penalty. You don't have the right yourself because somebody killed your loved one to kill them. That is up to the people that God has given that authority to. This eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth thing, it doesn't work for the individual. It doesn't work that way. If I go out here and poke Sandy's eye out, he can't poke mine out. He can't exchange evil for evil. He's not the administrator of justice appointed by God. So when somebody wrongs you, don't lie in wait for an opportunity to wrong them back. I have seen that over and over and over and over in my life. I have seen people be wronged and then wait years to wrong somebody back. That's not, that's not the heart of the Father. You may have heard it say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you this, turn the other cheek, brother. Love your enemy, turn the other cheek. If they smack that cheek, offer them the other one. What is he saying? Is he telling you to let some dude beat you up? No, but he's saying is it doesn't matter how often they're coming after you. It is your job to forgive 77 times, seven times in a day. What does that mean? You keep forgiving. You don't repay. Always do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible... If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Here's your Osama bin Laden thing. Here's your justice. He put us in a place where it was not possible, even if it depended on us, to live at peace. But again, we're not talking now. We're not talking about love and action. We're not talking about nation versus nation here. We're not talking about nation versus you know, terrorist ideology. We're talking about yours and my dealings with one another. As long as, as, as long as it's possible, you need to do whatever you can to live at peace with your brother. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
Here's the thing about God's justice. If somebody wrongs you and you wrong them back, that's a small price to pay. If there is somebody who is not a believer, is somebody who, is, who, who, who has turned down the free gift of Christ's love and they injure you, do you think you can pay them back in a way better than what God does? Do you think you're better than God at paying back? Do you think you know more than he does? Do you think that you understand proportionate justice more than God does? If you think you do, there's something wrong. Guess what the law is? The law is God's rules. It is his job to judge them and, 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 and those who offend them. It's not your job. So let me tell you well, another passage. How often do we do this? How often do we want to point fingers and be conceited or, or point fingers and think of ourselves more highly, point fingers and, and think we know what's right better than God? Do you realize that you're the folks that God, Jesus was talking about? Say, why in the world are you trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you still have the plank in your own? You don't know better than God. Let God be God because you're not. It's as simple as that. Let God be God because you ain't him. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Tell you another thing about God's justice. Some people get angry at God because they're like, well, he let somebody off the hook. Why would he let them off the hook? Let me tell you why sometimes the justice of God actually involves not doing anything. It's because of a thing called grace. Do you realize that sometimes the justice of God might be that offense that was done against you. It might be God's justice to heap that thing onto the cross and to let his son pay for it instead of the other person. Let God be God. Let him decide if they pay or if his son pays. Let God be God. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feeding. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. What does that mean? <laughs> you will lead them to repentance. You will lead them. Your enemy notices when you don't repay evil for evil. Your enemy notices when you don't retaliate. In my lifetime, people have said many things to me, of, about me, or have done things to me, and I've done nothing. I've had some say that I was weak for that. I've had people call me a doormat for that. That's not at all what that is. When people have injured me in certain ways, 
I'm being the most like Christ when I say not a word sometimes. Sometimes silence. Sometimes silence in the face of accusations is being the most Christ-like. Christ went through seven trials back and forth between Pilate and Herod. He stood in silence. Sometimes being the most like Christ is in the midst of all the stuff swirling around you is to leave your mouth shut. Let me tell you what, that's not easy. I may choose a certain response because I'm trying to be Christ-like. But I can assure you it's not my default response. My default response is an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, an insult for an insult, a beatdown for a beatdown. Sometimes to stand in silence and to choose to reach out to the person that hates you, to give them food when they're hungry and a drink when they're thirsty is when you're being the most like Jesus. I stink at it a lot. I do, but I really do try. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome by evil. Your enemy, the devil, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He will do anything and everything. He will throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at you. But don't be overcome by that attack. Don't be overcome by the actions and the words that are being thrown in your direction. The way that you always overcome evil is with good. Is to be an ambassador for Christ in a dangerous place. To be an ambassador for Christ when you don't feel like being an ambassador for Christ. It's, it's, it's being light when you're standing in darkness. It's being salt and bringing healing and flavor to a world that does nothing but hate you. That's when you're being the most like Jesus. That's when you're being the most like Jesus. Overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with that Holy Spirit that lives within you. Because I can assure you, an attack is coming your direction. A thing is coming your way in your lifetime. It might not be today, tomorrow, next week, next year. There is something coming into your direction where evil will try to overcome you. Be like Christ. Respond like Christ. That's how you overcome evil with good. How do you know what that is? I know I've said this a hundred times. I'm going to say it again. You want to know how to respond like Christ? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's that simple. It's that simple. The Gospels. 
You want to know how to act like Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So when you act like Jesus, you are fulfilling the law and the prophets. You are honoring God in a way that, that no one else, that no one else in existence can without the Holy Spirit living in you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read it. Pray that the Holy Spirit shapes you in the likeness of Christ. Tell God that, that you need help forgiving. Tell God that you need help loving your enemy. Take it to him. God wants you to be real with him. Remember the sincerity thing that we started out with? God wants you to be sincere with him. He doesn't want you coming to him in these fervent times of prayer, wearing your mask with your high lofty words. He wants you to be real with him. And he wants you to, through this interaction with him in prayer, in your study of the life of Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, you can be like Christ. It ain't going to happen today or tomorrow. But that's the starting point. Let us pray.